When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The ensuing show will change, transform, and otherwise alter you. Good luck. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. Knock, knock, who's there? Well, it's Mr. Bojman, and it's boogie time. <laughs> Today, we're talking the latest King adaptation to hit cinemas, The Boogeyman, a film directed by Rob Savage, who made the found footage hits, host and dashcam, and of uh, released via 20th Century Studios, which is owned by Disney, which is why there was a goofy cameo in The Boogeyman. <laughs> Jen, my name's Rockin' Randall Colburn. I'll, I'll, I'll say more in a moment, but first I want, Jen, I want to hear from you. Why? Say hello and tell us what you thought about the Goofy cameo in The Boogeyman. Hey, this is Jen uh, Goofy Adams, I guess. <laughs> I loved it. It made the movie for me. I wasn't expecting them to go there. You know, it's, it's, they must have spent a lot of money on the IP, but I, I really. Big role. I know, exactly. But so, you got to go for it. It's a big swing, you know. Did you have a Boogeyman growing up? <laughs> Um, I did because of this story. I think this is maybe one of the first stories, my first interactions with Stephen King. And I read this and I always checked my closet. I always checked under my bed. I closed the door. Like just the idea of like the closet door open just to crack. Like I don't think I ever envisioned what the boogeyman actually looked like, but I was always suspicious of closets and I still check my kids' closets every night before they go to bed. Uh, Do you read Cujo to them before they go to sleep? (laughs) I do not know, but that one freaked me out as well. Because <laughs> there's something in the closet there. Uh-huh. Um, Dan Flieger, <laughs> say hello and tell us your thoughts on the Goofy cameo. This is Dan Trauma Flieger. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, ding, ding, I win the prize. First one to say trauma. Um, I don't remember the Goofy cameo, oddly enough. When was that? <laughs> it's oh, uh, um, He's sitting next to Cujo in the backseat of Christine, actually. Yeah. That was kind of just a, a smorgasbord. Okay, I, I got to be honest. There's no goofy cameo. In, oh, in, um, I was about to say, I would not miss a Disney We're going to get here, sued but... by the studio. I think. Mm-hmm. There's no boogie. Uh, boogie. No, well, there is a boogie. There's no goofy. Uh, yes. Although the boogie could be construed as goofy, uh, depending on the viewer. Uh, the Okay, so instead of the goofy question, Flieger, let me ask you, did you have a boogeyman growing up? 
Um, not really. I was more afraid of house fires growing up. I was hmm. all right. very practical in my paranoia, but I was also very afraid of house fires because my dad said we had permission to break the window. And my oh. brother was so excited. And I was like, if you do that, we're going to step on glass. So we would get in fights about whether he was allowed to break the window in case of a fire. So that's where my my brother was my own little boogeyman, I guess. Did you okay. ever worry that he was going to burn your house down so that he could break the window? I was more afraid that I would burn it down because I was kind of oh. the, the pyromaniac of the house. But. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Justo, say hello and tell me uh, about the what you thought about the goofy cameo in The Boogeyman. Hey, this is Justin uh, Juniper Hill Gerber. And <laughs> yeah, I think we've, we've talked a lot about the, the great... Um, cameo, of course, of Goofy in the film. But I think we're bearing the lead here. It's, it's not really a cameo. It's more of a like a supporting role. Yeah. There's that five-minute section where, um, you know, as you know, Splash Mountain is closed down at, at, mm-hmm. at Disney World. It's being replaced by, I think, Princess and the Frog. Princess and the Frog. But uh, Disney is trying to use that IP elsewhere now. So it was really a curious decision to have Br'er Fox playing Lester Billings. Ooh, yeah. I thought that was... Um, <laughs> Really strange. It was kind of a darker scene. You know, he's talking about his family being murdered one by one, but it's like Roger Rabbit's like the animated yeah. Br'er Fox talking to Fox, yeah. Dr. Will Harper. But Yeah, the um, choice to make this movie half animated and half uh, <laughs> live action was an odd one, but I guess yeah. it does represent sort of Disney's efforts to uh, diversify its content. I mean, which just is in, fine. I mean, I yeah. understand you want your IP to survive. You don't want it to just kind of disappear into the ether. But very curious decision. Yeah, it is yeah. the age of IP. Um, uh, did you have a boogeyman growing up? I, you know what? I don't. I don't remember. I don't recall having any nightmares. You know, with, with a boogeyman jumping out of my closet or anything like that. But I admit that I, I, even to this day, I very rarely will sit on the edge of my bed with my feet dangling. Mm. Right. You know. Right. You know. With <laughs> Are you on like the top the bunk or I, something? <laughs> I just. I just dive into my bed from my front door. <laughs> I just. Dive, I can't do it. No, but there's something about that. I think that might just be more about not necessarily there's somebody hiding there, but like you know, I don't know. It's a. It's a totally irrational fear, obviously, but there is something. Yeah. About that, like honestly, there's also that split second before I open my shower curtain that I think that there's gonna be somebody standing there. Sometimes you know, so. Maybe Perhaps she goes see a psychologist. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Maybe me and Br'er Fox Maybe should go see a psychologist. Chris, yeah, Chris Messina. Uh, okay, so Boogeyman. I, you know, it's funny. I feel like I may have told this story in the pod before, but I had a I had a experience once when I was a kid where my feet were on the right side of my bed, mm. uh, which was against the wall. There was like a little space between the wall and the bed, and I had my feet over there once. I was probably like six years old. And I swear, like, it was so real. I felt a hand come up from under the bed and grab my leg. And I felt like it's one of those things where maybe, I mean, I know it probably obviously never happened, but it was very, very real. And I remember, um, uh, you know, telling my parents about it and being terrified of it. And they just told me, you know, go back to sleep, whatever, nothing happened. And, uh, but I was like petrified. And so I slept for years and I'm talking years with my feet, like dangling over the left side of my bed. And I never wanted in the dark, wanted to go to the right side. It was very, very scary. Uh, and then I remember, uh, my mom talking about the, the idea of like hearing something. She's like, Oh, I guess I just heard something, you know, like, Oh, it must not have was just in my head. And then I said something, I was like really little. I was probably like seven or eight years old. And I go, mom, like you hear things that aren't there. Do you ever feel things that aren't there? And my mom goes, no, only crazy people do that, (laughs) which is very much my mom's attitude towards things, which I think is funny. So, uh, so I've lived my entire life believing that, um, 
that I'm going to Juniper Hill. Um, hey, I deserve welcome. to be there. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so that was kind of my boogeyman, I guess. I was really scared of Freddy Krueger too. Like whenever I was scared of the dark and I always thought Freddy Krueger was in the dark. Um, oh. And he was going to stab me with his knife hands. Uh, but speaking of stabbing, let's talk about the boogeyman in the history of the boogeyman. Because the stabbing of Mike Hanlon happened in the Dairy Public Library. And that's where we're going. It's the Dairy Public Library. Mike Hanlon, if you see... Hey, excuse me, sir. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? You do? Well, you better let the poor guy out. Well, Mike Hanlon, did I have to go? Did I have to get cleaned up? Tell him. Tell him. Tell him I'll see him tonight. Get out. Last chance, don't you? Get out. Get out. How about that segue? What if you just <laughs> nice. call this section from now on the history of the boogeyman? No matter what, no matter what the, the, yeah. the story like we're talking it's about like, is. And now back to on writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might ask Kyle to edit this. So my segue about Mike Hanlon getting stabbed is a little smoother because I tried to make it about the boogeyman. <laughs> mm. And then I was like, oh, wait, it's right there. Mike Hanlon got stabbed in the Dairy Public Library. Uh, but I actually probably won't do that. So no, okay. I was gonna say, leave all this in there, even oh, though yeah. he does edit it, to prove <laughs> that you actually did have somebody edit the foul up. It'll be <laughs> really true. confusing inside baseball. That'll be good. Yes. Okay. Dairy Public Library, some history. We don't have much because this is a new movie. It just came out on June 4th, which... Uh, I believe this is coming out the following week. So hopefully you guys have all had time to see it by now. If you have no desire to see it, keep listening. We're going to spoil it. Uh, so, you know, just so you know, if you're planning on seeing it, I guess don't listen. But yeah, we already told you Goofy's to you. in it. So, you know. yeah, Goofy. I mean, yeah. yeah, we did spoil the Goofy cameo, which was something that uh, they were not hype. You know, these days I feel like they hype cameos in movies uh-huh. now. They really kept a lid on the Goofy. Thing, they did, yeah. Of, no, yeah. like we got Goofy guys. We got. Well, Flieger missed it, so I don't want. I don't, maybe if he revisits it, I don't want to spoil it for him. Though. That's the thing. <laughs> That's, I would not miss that. I promise you. Um, okay, the boogie. You're the one who sounds effing Goofy right now. <laughs> 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 okay, The Boogeyman is based on a short story by Stephen King, first published in the March 1973 issue of Cavalier. Isn't that kind of wild to think? Like, guys were, like, cranking their hogs reading this story, and, uh, you know, what, like, 40 years, 50 years later, it's it's playing massive cinemas. Yeah, uh, and I bet none of them the went to therapy after reading this, too. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, hopefully they're in therapy now, um, <laughs> but... So, yeah, this was, and then it was later included in King's 1978 collection, Night Shift, which, uh, do we all agree? Is that all of our favorite short story King collection? Definitely. That's yeah. my favorite one. Yeah. Skeleton yeah. Crew just ekes it out, but oh, just nice. barely. There are some great stories in Skeleton Crew, for sure. Yeah, the, the highs, highs are high. The Skeleton Crew are so mm-hmm. high. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah, I think, I'm, I think I'm a Night Shift guy. Although, I got to say, everything's eventual. It's very it, good. It's awesome. Yes, I love. It. I think I gave kinda that five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of won me over a lot when I when we did our episode on it. Uh, so this movie was actually first announced, or at least started coming together back in 2018, which is pretty wild. Uh, wow. It was it was an early project of uh, Scott Beck and Brian Woods, who are a pair of screenwriters who came to prominence with A Quiet Place, a movie John Krasinski directed horror movie uh and that had a sequel made a shitload of money and these guys became kind of the go-to uh horror screenwriters uh you know in the aftermath of that although they just released that movie i think like of their many projects uh i don't know man like they did that 65 movie with adam driver that just came out where he's like 
uh, on a dinosaur island or something. It sounds mm. great, but like Daddy it apparently was very not good at all. Didn't Did anyone well. here see it? Did not Didn't do well. It. Yeah. So anyways, uh, this was an early thing with them. And, uh, and then there's another screenwriter credited named Mark Heyman. And I get the vibe. I think we did hear that the script was reworked uh, by this Heyman character who um, did write Black Swan, the Darren Aronofsky movie, which I think is pretty good. I um, love it. Yeah, big fan. Yeah. And then he uh, co-wrote The Skeleton Twins, which was uh, a dark comedy with Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader. And, um, and then, yeah, this is the next thing he worked on. So I get hired gun vibes from this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Cause I do think the script is something that we need to talk about. I would be very curious to see what the initial draft that Scott Beck and Brian Woods wrote. Um, although I got to admit, I'm not really a quiet place fan. What do you guys, how do you guys feel about it? Uh, Justin? I'm a fan. I've only seen it the once. I'm not sure what the replay value would be on it though. You know, I feel like the initial shocks are going to be the big shocks for me. Yeah. Flieger. Yeah. I, I was a fan of the first one. The second one's kind of, yeah, diminished returns as well. Mm. Um, I think seeing it in a theater the first time was really cool because yeah. people, you know, weren't even crunching their popcorn because they were so afraid to make noise. So it felt a little more immersive seeing it in the theater. And then when I watched yeah. it on TV, you know, and you hear cars going by, you're like, man, we'd all be dead by now from these monsters. <laughs> Jen, quiet place man. fan. That movie is like kryptonite for me. Like I started crying in the first like 10 minutes and did not stop for the entire thing. It's like child death. And I saw it like when my kids were still young. And so it's Mm. like, so it's hard for me to like view it critically, but I I do really enjoy it. I actually saw the world premiere of it at South by Southwest. Yeah. with uh, That was where I saw John Krasinski and Emily Blunt in person and said, that is the most attractive couple I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it is. They're impossibly yeah. good looking. Um, I think Quiet Place is pretty good. I didn't love it, but it's I it, and not, like I said, it figures right in that it's a good theater movie, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and um, uh, but I remember being really annoyed that the climax of that movie, which I won't spoil, which is a big kind of emotional moment, but it involves, you know, in the world of the movie, it's it got to be really quiet, you know, mm-hmm. like that's the whole thing. But there's like huge music playing over it. Like they have the score going crazy. And that to me, I think I'm being a maybe a bit of a buzzkiller, a stickler. I was like, <laughs> enough with this. Like if you're going to be the quiet, a quiet place, like no music at all. Do the no country for old men thing. You know, That's, they yeah. escort you out too. She kept going, Jim. I kept yelling. Jim. <laughs> Jim, Halpert. turn off the music. It's not too late to get back to the edit bay. Let's go. <laughs> John. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, um, so yeah, mixed mixed ideas on that. Although, and then they're making another one that the guy who directed Pig is going to do, which Ooh. bums me out because yeah. I want the guy who made Pig to make Pig 2 because Pig was my favorite movie <laughs> the oinkening. last year. The Oinkening, um, which Nick Cage for- is back, the Pig's back, everyone's back. Quiet okay, Place is so- really coming for a triple movie, not like the quietest place, but a third, just Quiet Place 3. It's like a place, Quiet Place again. something quieter. something. Mm. Yeah, get Even quieter. Yeah. <laughs> The it's a library. quiet place for more. I the think sound of right. silence. Yes. I think they're trying to do the whole franchise thing. So I don't think like Krasinski's in it or anything. It's a whole new cast. I'm pretty sure. Oh, so um, yeah, they're trying to do that. Anyways, my, my man, uh, pig director, whose name I'm blanking on right now. Uh, well, I hope, he you know, um, at the very worst, he'll get more money than he's ever seen his entire life. Yeah, I, I want that for him. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. 
Boogeyman. This movie uh, stars Sophie Thatcher, who's on the show Yellow Jackets. Uh, Chris Messina, who is beloved by white women everywhere. <laughs> yes, uh, he is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first thing you saw of Chris Messina and Jen. Nope. The first thing I think I read. Oh, in the <laughs> news. What was that? I think. What was your? Oh. Because uh, I got, I got a good one. I got a good one. Uh oh. <laughs> okay, sorry, Jen. I cut you off. I was no, just curious okay. about that. First, no, my uh, first, yeah. first one. But the first one I think I really fell in love was uh, Birds of Prey. You know, anybody oh, okay. in that movie is just oh. wins my heart. Justo, yours. I, I think it was Damages season three or four. <laughs> um, he plays this kind of um, PTSD vet who gets mixed up with. Um, is it Rose? Burn? Yeah, Rose Burn. Yeah. And good uh the first couple seasons, the first few seasons were really good. And then it went to it was it was that weird time where shows were going to direct TV after they, they were getting canceled. Oh yeah. Like mm-hmm. Friday Night Lights. I think Damages was another one. And maybe the last season was on Netflix, but I never finished the show. But I remember he was he was really great on that show, and that was the first time I ever saw him. And then he's just been popping up on stuff ever since. So I'm yeah. I'm a fan, I'm a Messina fan. I'm a white yeah. man who's a Messina fan. <laughs> Flieger. Um, mine would have to be Argo. Oh. Um, oh. And uh, he's also in Digging for Fire, the Joe Swanberg mm. movie. I like that movie. Huh. But yeah, he's good in Argo, as I recall. I don't really recall him standing out. But then again, everyone kind of had that 70s look going. So it's hard to identify them right away. He he's also great in the new. In everything. You know? He's also great in Air. Yeah. Affleck's Air. Oh, right. He's, 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 great. he's the agent, he's right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He plays Falk. a very small role in my wife's favorite movie, You've Got Mail. Huh. Is he, how old was he in that? Like 16? I think he was seven years old. Wow, he's a little baby. Okay. No, I'm kidding. He was probably like 20 or something. Um, okay. Sorry for all these these things. Okay. Vivian Lyra Blair, who is in, she's young Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. Fun Canon, story. by the way. Makes total sense for the Star Wars saga. Yeah. She <laughs> yeah. she hangs out with Obi-Wan Kenobi for weeks and doesn't recognize him five years later. Yeah, she's in uh <laughs> she's in this the show Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney Plus. Fun story that I I heard recently. Uh initially, uh her character, who I her name's Sawyer, I believe, she carries a little ball around in the script, like a ball of light that helps them that helps keep the boogeyman at bay. Uh, but in the initial script, it was actually a lightsaber, like a, yeah. a, a mm-hmm. toy lightsaber that she carried around. And they made the the Disney uh, suits made them cut that because they didn't want there to be this cross pollination. They didn't want it to be like this in joke, right? Because well, she's in. I the heard Star the Wars same, world. but I heard that was between Sawyer's lightsaber or Brer Fox. As Lester Billings, and I, I'm, I was surprised they they said to get rid of the lightsaber, with, but they were fine with Brer Fox being in the film. They're very yeah. particular about their IP. I think. You know what's so. yeah. funny too is Sophie Thatcher is in the book of Boba Fett. She oh is. yeah, she, she is. is. She, she is. really yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. Huh. she is. I actually just realized I have not watched that, but I realized she was. Oh, and then the great David Desmalchian, who as a Chicago native, I got to give a shout out because he's a local uh, Chicago guy, did a lot of theater. I've seen him in plays. He's fantastically talented. Love, love his success for him. And uh, I wish he had a bigger part in this, to be honest. So um, anyways, this was uh, started in June 2018. It was canceled in 2019 when Disney acquired Fox, but it was revived a couple years later with Savage, who, uh, you know, kind of... During COVID was honestly one of the saving graces of film. I, a lot of people tried to make COVID movies. I think they're all evil and should be burned in a pit somewhere. But I think his uh, host is uh, not just a great COVID movie. It's 
like a zoom movie quote unquote mm-hmm. it's uh one of my favorite horror movies the last couple of years which is very inventive 78 minutes bless your heart mm. uh you know fun movie and then he made dash cam which i know is much more divisive we can talk about that at another time uh and then um but you know still well received to some degree and then yeah he got this big gig doing the boogeyman which is his first like non-found footage feature horror film at least with a studio so yeah the cast signed on in early 2022 principal photography began in february of uh last year in new orleans they shot in new orleans uh, i wish i saw a little more of that new Orleans flavor what do you guys think do you wish you saw some beignets and some uh, could always do more bayou <laughs> well yeah i mean <laughs> For the simple fact that they didn't shoot this in Georgia, I figured, like, you know, take advantage of your actual locations, you know. I feel right. like mm-hmm. there was a scene near the end, right before Sadie gets called into action. Yeah. That she's, it looks like she's by one of the, like, the, the, the bays down there that I've been around. Be cool so, like, if she I went and watched some jazz. Yeah. <laughs> to get, to put her mind at ease. She's running back Kermit to the Ruffins. house and it's Mardi Gras and she's just, oh, like, man. people are throwing beads at her. And they're all like, kind of no just time. Eating, and she can't tell who the boogeyman is because he's mixed up in the crowd with all these people in costumes. <laughs> right. Uh, mm-hmm. Be great. Do you do you remember that scene in Venom, Let There Be Carnage, when Venom mm-hmm. like goes to a party and like sings at the party? Uh, they should have done that with Boogeyman at like a jazz club. You know that movie was like 87 minutes with credits? It's fantastic for that reason. <laughs> that mo- That's 60% of the joy that I had was knowing that it was that short. And I know. having I just had the best time. Okay, so this was originally planned to be released on Hulu, but because horror movies just keep raking in the dough, they uh, they decided to actually do a theatrical release. I actually have another story about how it got a theatrical release, which Mr. King actually helped contribute to that. But, you know, they released a lot of, I think uh, the studio started to realize, I think Prey, the Predator movie, was a big, was a big, uh, one where they knew they would have made so much money in theaters based on how it performed on Hulu mm-hmm. if they had released it. Um, and then there's been a couple other horror movies that went Exorcist. straight to streaming. Exorcist. No, not yeah. Exorcist. Or not Hellraiser. A, yeah. Hellraiser. Hellraiser that's what I was thinking. And um, Hellraiser. And then now they're just kind of putting them all in theaters and they're all kind of paying off. Movies like Smile, movies like uh, Evil Dead Rise. Like, you know, these movies yep. are all were all initially meant for streaming and they're all doing really well because, you know, it's fun to watch horror with other people. Uh, yeah. I think it's one I, of the best things to see with other people. Yeah, I was going to say, I have a theory on that too, that just having a horror movie, even though you're not going to have long-term box office, you know, teenagers on a Friday night are like, what do you want to see? And you get about two weeks of good box office there of like, oh, this poster looks scary. Let's go see mm-hmm. that. Well, yeah. they're also relatively inexpensive, even compared right. to another drama, right? And so even just having a big weekend, you're going to make your money back. Mm-hmm. You know, at the very worst, you're going to at least make your money back, so... Well, and if there so, are movies I'm going to go see in theaters, it's either an action movie or it's a horror movie because that's when you get the most bang for your buck from seeing mm. it actually in a theater, you know? Whereas if it's a drama, I'm going to probably wait till it's streaming, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, Based on the, the amount of people that were in the theater when my wife and I saw Armageddon Time starring Jeremy Strong and Anne Hathaway, yeah, people are not going to the movies to watch uh, <laughs> family dramas anymore. Okay. I can't believe Christmas Cena was not in that movie. That just feels like that's a Christmas Cena he is. Fulfilling. He's the Armageddon. Actually. Oh, he's the time. Oh, he plays tiny, a time. Tiny cam- cameo at the very end. You have to stay till the end of the credits. Oh, on wow, the no spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's post credit scene setting up uh, uh, Armageddon. Armageddon time now. <laughs> she um, Armageddon times two. <laughs> oh, yes. <God>. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh Jesus. So, uh, so here's a quote oh, from Savage about total film. Uh, or not about Total Film. It was in the magazine Total Film, which bizarrely uh, on the internet, you have to go to a site called Games Radar to read Total Film content. It is very confusing. Uh, 
So this is a quote that Savage gave that outlet. When the movie tested so well, we decided it was time to get Stephen King's input, so we rented out his favorite cinema in Maine. Uh, he also stated, I wonder if that's the one where we saw Smile. Probably. What do you guys think? No, I think it's uh, that one that they showed us in downtown Maine. I mean, downtown oh. Bangor. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Okay, Probably. anyways. He also stated, uh, he knows what he doesn't like, and if we'd have fucked up his story, he'd have told us. But he sent a lovely, almost essay about how much he enjoyed the movie. And then the next day, I wake up, and there's an email in my inbox from Stephen King, and he said he's still thinking about the movie. He said a few more nice things, and the nicest thing that he said was, they'd be fucking stupid to release this on streaming and not in cinemas. So uh, I imagine that helped get that movie in theaters, get this movie in theaters as well. What's interesting is we're actually recording this on on May 30th. So we actually don't know. You guys listening to this will know how the movie is doing at the box office. Uh, we do not know at this time. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I think it could go either way. Most horror movies tend to do well. I've seen a couple duds, uh, you know, that have happened. But I think if the marketing is right and the, uh, you know, you got to, you got, I feel like this one, it, it's going to, like having Sophie Thatcher in it, who is yeah. kind of, you know, in all these shows that the teens are watching might actually help. Um, and so, and all the girls who call Chris Messina daddy will also <laughs> move in. Christ. So. He's a daddy in this movie, literally. Yeah. Yes, he, he is. is. I think uh, he's do you have the do budget well. for this movie, by chance? $35 million. Oh, really? I think it's just projected so, to make $16 million its opening weekend, so. $60 million opening? 16 Oh, well... If it stays a few weeks in international, the thing is, I'd imagine they only maybe spent five to ten million marketing. Marketing. Mm-hmm. I feel like they have to make fifty to break even. Is my prediction. We'll see what happens. It's a it's a tough time of year. You know, it's a really yeah. strange time of year. Yeah. So um. So yeah, that's a uh, that's. I'm I'm very curious, like to look into the future and what you guys know about the box office. This movie, we'll see. So. Plot synopsis. High school student Sadie Harper and her little sister Sawyer are still reeling from the recent death of their mother. Devastated by his own pain, their father Will, a therapist, gives them neither the support nor the affection that they try to claim from him. When a desperate patient shows up unexpectedly at their house asking for help, they bring in a terrifying entity that preys on the family and feeds on their greatest suffering. Um... On that note, I'm going to kick us over to Heroes and Villains. I feel like we can talk about the story and the themes and the ideas while also discussing the characters. So yeah, let's do that. Heroes and Villains. I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! So let's start by talking about the story itself, the Stephen King story. Uh... Flieger, give me a synopsis. You read it this morning, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so essentially, I'm trying to get the name of the character. Is it uh, Lester Billings? Lester yeah, Billings, right? yeah. So he enters a psychiatrist's office and confesses to the deaths of some of his children and how he's being accused of those deaths. And he kind of opens up about the process. He's kind of a hateful man. Mm-hmm. I forgot. Because I loved uh, what says Dashmalian in the th- film because I'm also just a fan of his as a Chicago guy. Um but the Lester in the book or in the short story just comes across a lot more annoying. Unsavory. Um, yeah, racist. Just, yeah, racist, sexist. Talks about, like, I thought about beating my wife, but I held yeah. off, you know. Anyway, he kind of gets it off his chest. The doctor's like, okay, you're going to need to come back and see me. But then he leaves, and there is no nurse to make an appointment. And when he comes back in, you see that it was the boogeyman wearing a doctor disguise, right? Ah. Psych. Got you there. It was the monster the was the intimacy. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yes. Good. Uh, anything I left out major? I think that's yeah. Jen, anything it. you want to add to that? Um, yeah, I guess like he is claiming that the boogeyman has snuck into his closets and is sneaking out and killing his children one at a time. And even after he moves to a new house, um, the boogeyman kind of slings across and there's lots of descriptions. Like there's a repetitive kind of the closet door was open, but just a crack. And it kind of functions like a, like a campfire story when it gets closer just a little bit. And there's that gotcha at the end. Yeah. It's a great Justin, short story. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember you ranking it high in our Love Night it, yeah. Shift episode, mm-hmm. uh, whereas I've ranked it uh, dead last. No, I'm just kidding. It was, like, <laughs> it was like five or six. I like it, but I remember you being a big fan. So what is it that works so well about this it's story? It's just unsettling. I just love the slow rollout. And when you think the way it unfolds is very similar to the jaunt. It's mm-hmm. somebody who's telling the story about something, but it ends in the present. And that yeah. just, and Jen, you allude to this. It, it's like a campfire tale, too, in a way. And these mm-hmm. are my favorite types of short stories are the horrific campfire tale-ish, um, you know, unveilings, as it were. And okay. yeah. so, yeah, continue on. But I mean, this is some issues I've got with the actual movie itself, I guess. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting to talk about this as an adaptation. And I think yeah. we can use Lester, the way that Lester is used here with Des Malchian, um, as sort of the means to discuss that. So, you know, in the same way that, uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Killer, or um, is it The Killers or The Killer? The, oh, the, the Killers. The Killers, Girl. that's what I thought. That's based on a short story, and uh, essentially what he does in that movie is, you know, dude does the first, uh, you know, he does the short story in like the first five or ten minutes and then elaborates on it. And it's a mm. great movie. So that 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 approach to adapting a short story can definitely work. And we get a similar thing here where, you know, the whole story where Desmalchian comes in and he talks about having killed or these, his children have been killed. Uh, and he is, uh, is he, did he say he's like wanted for it? I can't remember exactly. The story he's, he's not, I think they've, there's like medical ex- explanations for everything. I got vibes yeah. in this one that there was like the implication that he was wanted for it. I don't think he was wanted. I think there were some investigations. Well, okay. Yeah. Still oh, ongoing. yeah. Everybody thought that he was. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, but they, they couldn't prove it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. They spray painted murderer on his house. So at least like mm. locals knew about it. That's what suspected. I'm thinking of. He's like being, he's become like uh, pilloried in the society. Heisenberg. For it, so. so Yeah. Like Dolores Claiborne kind of thing. <laughs> like Heisenberg um, was spray painted on his house. It's like that. You, know, just... <laughs> you caught me off guard with that one. Um, so. Yeah, so basically we get that scene that essentially encompasses the majority of the story, only in this case, Chris Messina's character is not the boogeyman, he is a genuine therapist, Uh, but while David Desmalchian's character, Lester, is at the house and confesses these things and he draws a picture that he says is the thing that kills children when you're not looking, uh, or when you're not there, you know, very, which I'm sure Jen, like, hits like a, like Uh a, you know, like a bag of sand, which it is, does because you can't yeah. look at them every second of the day, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And that's something that King, I think was writing about a lot at this stage in his career. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that in previous episodes. I mean, I think even the shining is a lot about his anxieties about raising children and a lot of his short stories from that, from that era. It's about, you know, what happens when you're not there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so, yeah. So I think that, uh, what happens in this story, the boogeyman does surface uh, during his therapy session, and then uh, David Desmalchian's Lester ends up being dead, hanging from a door, uh, and it appears to be a suicide. So this is the departure 
from, or maybe that is how it happens, uh, you know, in the, the page after King ends his story with, with the Bozeman. But uh, so from there, then we delve into the family of the therapist, which uh, primarily the daughters, Sophie and Sawyer, who um, are both very sullen and very sad. And there is something in the house, especially it seems that it's taken root following the death of this stranger within their house. So um, I guess let's start there. How do we feel about this depiction of Lester Billings and the way that it kickstarts this story? Do we think it's an effective kickstarter for the story or do we wish that the story was, you know, rewound a little bit and centered on Lester himself as the King's story is? Uh, Jen, what do you think? Um, I think it works for me. I like it. I did not go into this expecting Lester to be, or at least the Lester we see in the story, who is so hateful and just kind of spewing like in words around. Like he wasn't going to be the star, and I didn't really want him to be the star. Um, and so, yeah, I I kind of like it. I feel like it sets the tone well. And for people that have read the story, it's a really fun like re- remembering of it, you know. But it's it's also telling me it's going to be its own thing, you know. Mm-hmm. What do you boys think? I mean, uh, yeah, for me, you could have Lester Billings' character and kind of, you know, sanitize him in a way where he's not blatantly, you know, a possible <laughs> abuser, racist, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, for me, I'm more interested and I become more invested when horror stories start off with the protagonist being kind of happy-go-lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, characters who actually start to go through it. Mm-hmm. And so the more interesting story for me when it comes to the boogeyman is the story that Lester Billings tells, mm. which by coincidence is Stephen King's short story, The Boogeyman. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we do so- see too, I think just to deviate from, a way, a way it deviates from the story is we do see that uh, Lester and his wife and family are much happier. Like they were, they seem like they were in a healthy in relationship. The picture. In the because picture, when we see his Facebook page, it seems like they lived a very normal suburban existence. Well, uh, and also has, we see yeah. at the beginning of the movie, because we actually do see the scene where his baby is, is killed by the mm-hmm. boogeyman. And you see that yes. picture of the smiling family. And I don't want to step on your take around because I know this is a big thing of yours, but I just, when you just got these miserable protagonists, I, I just... It's just a slog after a while, unless you're like Ari Aster. <laughs> it, like, it's just, it's very hard to, to, to pull that off when everybody's already kind of gloom and doom. Well, Ari Aster aggressively prioritizes comedy, even though his movies, or at least his first two movies, are not strictly comedies. Yeah. So I think that's why I let that slide. But I do agree. Uh, and I think we can broaden this a little bit to include uh, Chris Messina and the children. This movie very much begins with a dark cloud of sadness and grief hanging over it. There is this, you know, death of the mother that is pretty um, heavy from moment one of this movie. Uh, all the children and Chris Messina are clearly depressed. They're clearly alienated. They're very unhappy. And I also, and then even when Lester comes in, he is like a different kind of dark. He is the the kind of dark where um, you could see him being the lead singer of Typo Negative. So it's <laughs> oh, wow. that kind yeah. of it's that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah Flieger, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say with Lester too. I think they kind of killed him off a little too fast mm-hmm. um, because him lingering. At least there was some doubt of like, is there a boogeyman or is it this mm-hmm. guy who's killing people? So I feel like kind of keeping him alive a little longer into the story could have at least created that tension 
I mean, we all knew because we had read the book what was really going on. But for someone who went in blank, I think getting rid of him so soon, you're like, okay, there must actually be a monster because it's not like this guy's doing it. He's no longer here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a little unclear whether he is the monster or if it's the boogeyman. You know, we see him upstairs and then it's just, it's kind of, I don't know, it's unclear what's actually happening, which I kind of just let slide because I was like, it's going to be the boogeyman. Yeah, I have a question about this. Since we, to be fair, we've only, everybody out there listening, we've only seen it the one time. We haven't been living with this, so we, we still have some questions about <laughs> we it. We know you've all seen it at least three at times. At least five times, <laughs> same day, we would hope. Why did he go upstairs again and like, and, and wander around? Evil. I assume because the boogeyman was calling to him. Yeah. Boogeyman I, reasons. All right. Okay. He was maybe he, using one of his fake voices. And was like, <laughs> Daddy, come up here. Even though he clearly <laughs> knows. Even though he's clearly established he knows there's a boogeyman. He's like, I guess yeah. I'll just. Maybe it's my daughter up there. <laughs> I think one thing we're going to be doing in this movie is talking. Or in this episode is talking a lot about. Uh, why things happened. Yeah. Why certain mm-hmm. things happened. Uh which is always unfortunate when you're watching a horror movie. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of my criticism of the movie, which I'll get to when we actually talk about Mr. Bozeman. Um, But I guess, you know, Sophie being our entryway into the movie, this is a girl who has been out of school, we learned, because, you know, presumably related to the loss of her family. When she gets back to school, we see that she... Uh, her old best friend has kind of a new friend group, uh, but it's kind of unclear to me um, how, like, how long has Sophie been out of school? Huge question have... for me. I didn't know if I missed that. <laughs> I, maybe I missed that. Was it a month? Was it a year? It felt like the whole world had moved on in like four weeks. I, it was mm. really strange. Yeah. And so how, um, you know, how, 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 when did this friend group kind of form? Because these, the other girls in this friend group don't just dislike Sophie. They seem to actively hate her and want to harm her, mm-hmm. which is really uh, weird. deeply strange. And uh, like just <laughs> making fun of her dead mom, which look, man, I've been around a lot of mean kids in my life. I've been a mean kid in my life. I feel like, especially someone who is like a friend of a friend, that seems like, you know, like right away, she's back at school the first day and you're kind of like, ah, how's your dead mom? You know, mm-hmm. it's a, uh, that's a level of cruelty. I feel like, uh, is is a bit much yeah that natalie character is like cartoonishly a bully like every mm. chance she gets she's taking advantage and being like ew what a freak and it's yeah. like I, we were laughing in the theater over how over the top it was <laughs> it was strange yeah. choices sorry that was one of yeah. the scariest parts of the movie for me is these girls oh i know right yeah. like i was scared of those those girls and mm. so yeah um but then Sawyer, we we don't get much. We don't see much of what her life is is like, sort of outside her bedroom at night, right? Like where she basically sleeps with her moon ball. It's called a moon ball, I guess. It's like these. Jen, do you know? Have you seen these? Do your kids have one? Yeah, I have one. Um, I don't know where it came from though. It kind of just Uh-oh. showed up at her. I know. <laughs> and it's really cool. Night. Well, alert. I like. I think we got it as a gift, or it just came in the mail, or something. But yeah, it's like it's got like the texture of the moon on it and you know it's supposed to have two different settings and one of my kids took it i tried to find it so i could freak you guys all out on this recording but you know i couldn't find it i think the boogeyman probably took it so boogeyman took it but they don't use it as a nightlight like it's just a i don't know we don't really use it you know interesting so for evil so we basically tonight i know it i know (laughs) watch it like come floating right behind me right now so Sawyer is 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 the first one who sort of really starts to experience the boogeyman, uh, you know, experience, which is, uh, you know, 
doors clanging at night, things under the bed. Uh, the light itself is used to stage a couple pretty effective scares uh, of things. But, you know, basically something is haunting the house and Sophie kind of doesn't take that long to come around to realize that, yes, something is haunting the house. We get a couple fake scares and then eventually she realizes it's real. Uh, they go to therapy uh, and then, you know, uh, the therapist isn't that much help. And then Chris Messina, uh, I don't know, what does he do? I don't even remember. <laughs> He's very sad and he cannot connect with his daughters yes. because he cannot admit his own grief over his wife's passing. So very, so true. very See, gloomy. Yeah. I think this is where I struggle with the movie a lot. And that's why I don't remember what Christmas Cena did in the movie is because it's all just these sort of vague, ephemeral notions of grief and sadness and trauma that are <gasps> sort of <laughs> Pee Wee Herman noise. Uh, that are sort of interwoven in the air of this movie. Uh, and But then the story itself feels kind of haphazard and uh, clunky and stitched together out of the kind of amorphous, gaseous tendrils of these ideas and feelings. And I think that's why when I look back at what happened in this movie... I find myself remembering set pieces, mm -hmm. like horror set pieces, and sad faces, and that and Mean Girls. That's kind of the what I. That's like what I'm left with having watched it about a week ago. Yeah, uh, Jen, what were you gonna say? Oh, that's my trifecta: sad faces, uh, horror set pieces, and Mean Girls. <laughs> mean you know, girls. you got yourself a movie. Um, yeah, this is the point of this movie. I think is to fulfill the stories like the closet door was open but just a crack and how that is repeated and that's the structure of this movie is really just linking together different ways for the boogeyman to attack or to get closer and I for that I think they did a good job of making it not as repetitive as it could be and I mm -hmm. think that was what I was expecting I was expecting it to kind of be a lights out kind of thing where it was just about us like finding new ways to be scared by the dark and I kind of just let a lot of the other stuff go um <laughs> you're just there so, for the scares exactly I was like well that's what we're gonna get I also like I tend to like movies that are sad and gloomy sometimes and and I feel like they didn't hit the trauma thing over the head as hard as they could have which I appreciate yeah I don't think they did and honestly until the until the last shot in terms yeah, of hitting the trauma of thing epilogue, over the head. Yeah. I, uh, I, I didn't, I thought that there was some really effective buildup scenes where mm -hmm. these scenes would kind of start to mount, but I don't really feel a lot of those scenes paid off. I feel like when those tension, allegedly tension filled scenes would end, we just cut to the kids at school. Like they didn't, mm -hmm. it, it didn't build the tension in the way it should have suspense wise. We talked about this around. I said it was kind of like horror movie Mad Libs. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it was just kind of, okay, uh, the creature who's just supposed to be the boogeyman Does of our nightmares. This in this simple room. boogeyman. He's, mm -hmm. you got to keep like in the clue. dark. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, by the way, don't make a sound. Hates the light. It's like a spidery creature. It, okay. you can, it, it can, it can tr transport from different houses to different houses. All right, hold on. But it, Cause I'm, yeah, I, go ahead. I got some questions. It's time to talk about the boogeyman. <laughs> it's time. I know you've all been waiting for this. Boge. It's boogie time, which yeah. was the tagline of this movie. Uh, <laughs> it's time to talk about the boogeyman. So, okay. I wrote down a list here. What do we know about the boogeyman oh, as he exists? What don't we know? You know well, like, 
Well, well he's we'll a therapist and <laughs> let's talk about this. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to run through some stuff here oh, and man. I want you guys I'm going to I'm going to say whether this is fair or true and I want you know tell me if this is true or if you disagree. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. So he is thought to have been around since the beginning of time. <laughs> That's what they say in the movie. Well, they said do they been say on that? forever. Oh. Even as they before do. the beginning of time. Well, I was I trying to figure out, but but fair. where were the um how did they come to that conclusion, I guess? Well, they cut out a scene where they went into a smoke lodge and they all got really high and saw him crash land. In yes, Derry. yes. You know. I feel like I heard Goofy was also in that scene. Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> he was, <laughs> he was <laughs> the one that he kept lighting the, the I wonder if, the pipe. if he was a creature from like the prim, you know, sort of oh that alternate existing hmm. dimension where a lot of just the evil lurks. I feel like that's kind of the origins of a lot of kings like, I don't know, super powerful monsters. Not the mm-hmm. S tier, because I don't think this is an S tier monster, but you know, just a very high class, powerful creature. That's yeah, a very I, charitable read. Dan I need Flager a little more and... explanation from who, who was it that, that came up with that idea? Was it uh, Rita? Well, uh, oh yes, it was the it was the widow of David Desmalchian's character. Mm-hmm. So she was the one who had that theory. So again, it's just her her idea, but you know, it is presented to us in a fairly firm way. Okay, next. He is not a spectral being. He has a corporeal body. He has a form. He can be hurt by punches and gunshots. <laughs> yes. Fair. We, yeah. we see it happen. We see it happen in the movie, to be fair. Mm-hmm. We see this happen. That was the most surprising thing to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it set on fire, too. It can be set on fire. Yes. Yeah. Which we'll talk yeah. about. Okay. Um, this was a... I, I, I think I expected based on a lot of things that had been set up, that this was a, a ghost-like creature, a spectral creature, something that could, um, you know, exist in sort of the uh, uh, different dimensions, kind of like Dan Flieger said, um, at least travel that way. But, okay. Uh, he has superhuman strength. He can throw children against, for example, he can throw children against televisions. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He builds elaborate web-like nests in the homes of those he targets. Mm, yes if given yeah. enough time yes yes and those nests appear to stay uh like even after he leaves because when we go to lester's house uh where his wife is living and lighting candles wax candles all the time instead of just like investing in some fucking uh batteries and and gas lamps <laughs> or uh you know uh lanterns uh jen you want to say something to be fair she was told that if the house burns down she can break the window so you know oh, yeah, I think exactly. she's still good, holding on to hope. good callback <laughs> um <laughs> so but yeah so but you can still see the the sort of rotted uh vine like nest that emerges from whatever this thing and, is but i got the impression which, too that he returns often so maybe he hasn't really abandoned that spot you know mm. it just keeps the infection keeps kind of spreading because Otherwise, yeah. she wouldn't have to light the candles, and then we do see it return later on to that Lester's house, right? I do mm-hmm. wonder right. what the like the spreading of the web represents. Like, maybe like the house is going through more and more of this this darkness, this mm-hmm. emotion, and it can't get I would past. Say it's, uh, this, it represents um, the trauma that's oh! Oh! <laughs> trauma that has taken root and spreads like a deadly vine. Yes, oh, mm-hmm. perfect, Dan. That was and the pitch. so. A question that I just have from this is, is okay, here's something I never thought I'd say. You know what this movie needed? The scene where they go on the fucking computer and look up uh, yes. 
old boogeyman sightings. Yes, microfiche montage. Yes, or <laughs> go to like Vincent D'Onofrio's character from Sinister yes. and have mm-hmm. him tell you the history of this demon. Or even because Vincent D'Onofrio from Rings. <laughs> I, would love, I would love a Rings return and bring back Holt Anthony while we're at it. Um, so Anthony. that was a joke for two people, me and Justin. <laughs> okay. Namely, the two people who saw Rings. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. Uh, because I, the way I see that, when I see these this nest, this elaborate sort of thing, and the idea that this uh, this this boogeyman has a corporeal body uh, and moves along that way, it's I'm wondering why there hasn't been more discourse or discussion around this creature. Because if it leaves behind that kind of footprint, uh, or you know, it it can't just you know, it doesn't exist in people's sort of uh, subconsciouses or in other dimensions. You have to think that there would be some microfiche about this shit. Anyways. I'll um, say this again. Yeah, it is very ahead. possible that we missed a line that Lester <laughs> Billings says to Will or that Rita says to Sadie in which maybe they do say, I've been investigating cases similar to this. It's possible we missed the, the line, library. but I don't, I feel like the four of us would have said there was a line like that. Yeah. I wrote down so. just about everything that happened and yeah. I think I would have caught that. Yeah. Which I okay. kind of like that we don't define it. Like I, I love a good microfiche montage, but I don't know. I kind of like, it's just, it's the dark and the dark has always been there and it's just spooky because it is. I, I kind of like Don't get that. me wrong. I, 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 Jen, I like I like what you're saying in the yes. sense where you go, it's the dark. The dark's always been there, but the movie isn't playing by those rules. That's true. And uh, and also, I, I don't feel like I need explanation. The mm-hmm. problem is when you give me things mm, yep. that make me think about why don't people, like why, 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 mm. why, why? Mm-hmm. This is my struggle with this movie mm-hmm. is this movie made me think about the rules. Yeah. And I don't want to think about the rules. But okay, hold on. There's more. Uh, okay. So what do we know about the boogeyman? He can teleport or he has a means of travel that allows him to go undetected. I wrote underground tunnels. But you know what um, I was thinking? Maybe this is a Little Monsters situation from the 80s. Yes. Okay. Yeah. With or Howie Mandel. Yeah. Or the shit out of me. They have never seen would, a movie. They would just kind of travel from various houses via was it closets and under the bed right yeah i think so very similar to monsters yeah yeah very Mm -hmm. similar so okay the story talks about it like (laughs) slithering through maybe the sewers or maybe creeping through the dark so i don't know okay and kind of leaving a slimy trail you know these two houses is all it cares about apparently though well and the psychiatrist's office which is in the house though which is in the house Oh, wait. no, no, no. The one that they go to. Oh, oh, oh. The oh, red, with yeah. With the flashing red mm. light. The, That's a good point. Wait a minute. Boschman yeah. shows it's, up it's, there, too. It's all over the place. Literally. This well, is what I'm saying. But the psychiatrist kind of is the boogeyman kind Yeah, it, it seemed like they're implying Dr. Weller might be because there's yeah. a couple of sinister glances. and Or she's I like feel like that was. I feel like that was just a cool shot. And, yeah. then and it was everybody cool. <laughs> in everybody in the theater went, ooh. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I don't think they want us to think she's demonic. So mm. because, well, I'll say this. If if she was Bozeman, we also see Bozeman in the psychiatrist's office when she's also in the room. Yeah. So that means Bozeman, I can add another thing here. If we're going with that theory, which is that he can manifest actual human uh, uh, doppelganger, well, not doppelgangers, but like, uh, you know, uh, tulpas, right? Or something mm. like that. Because mm-hmm. so, all we really see, though, in this movie is him adapting the voices imitating people who are around the people he is trying You're spoiling to my list oh, oh. oh sorry sorry please please go ahead okay read uh, that one next 
Okay, I'm going to jump because I have one. I'll go back to it. But just to get to the voice. Despite not having a voice of his own that we hear, he can mimic voices to trick his victims. We see this when uh, I believe Sawyer is under her sheets. She can mm-hmm. hear. Well, actually, a pretty creepy scene. I yeah. quite enjoyed mm-hmm. that scene. Well, actually, uh, at the very, very beginning of the movie, when the baby's in, in a crib crying, yes. you hear the, it trying out, I think, the Lester Billings voice. At that yeah, point, it's, that it's your daddy. Yeah, which is creepy. That's yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, so we, got, we have that. Uh, he is at least partly telekinetic, as he can open doors and close them uh, without using his, his, his spider hands. So, okay. However, he is not omniscient. You can hide from the boogeyman. He will stalk the area looking for you like a raptor. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. When she's hiding on the couch, she's laying there, just trying not to make a sound. This is Sawyer. She was playing, what was it, Crash Bandicoot or something. And then, or maybe Kingdom Hearts. It was like a generic then, uh, IP. So I was trying to figure out the game, and I'm like, that well, if it's Kingdom Hearts, isn't that Disney property? I think it was Kingdom Hearts, really? if I'm being oh, honest, wow. which would go. make sense. Since Goofy. This is Goofy in Kingdom Hearts. That is the Goofy cameo. <laughs> oh, um, we did it. So, okay. Uh, but that scene was maybe the most baffling to me, mm. where she was hiding from it like it was a monster, like a creature with like a bear. You know what I mean? Okay. Uh, and, I, it was, I, and it was I thought about looking this. for her. Okay. I've thought about this a little bit because I think initially we were all kind of um, confused as to how they figure out this lore of, well, it's just attacking people when they're in bed. So why it'll eventually find these people, right? I think the boogeyman makes noise or frightens people in its own way, not knowing exactly where these people are. But if they make noise, it will then know where to attack them. Mm. Like the quiet but place monsters? This is a problem. Mm. Yeah. Also, it's based like, on this space. Sounds on like these writers are falling on some yeah, old tricks. It, it also, this is the problem. It also yeah. reminds me, too, of the uh, bear creature in Annihilation. Oh, mm. yeah. It, it sort mm-hmm. of stalks, but it incorporates the voices of its victims into itself. So the woman screaming in Annihilation, you can hear it coming out of the bear as it's sort of sniffing around. That's such a good scene. It's so creepy. Mm. Well, but, and they do say okay, that it likes to play with its food. So it could be that these noises and this creeping around is just to heighten the fear. Okay. True, true, true. Pennywise style. Exactly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sweet okay. and Raptor. Raptor T-Rex style. <laughs> yeah. Could not stop thinking of the, the kitchen scene in Jurassic <laughs> Me Park. Me too, right? yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a good scene, you know. I wonder if in 65, they also have Adam Driver staying perfectly still so the T-Rex <laughs> won't find them. Just, just banging the a spoon over in the guys. corner. <laughs> Boogeyman can kill people and even stage a killing so it looks like a suicide. Well, that's fine. Am I fine, reading too much into it? That's kind of like the short story, though, because remember they say that all of these deaths seem to be natural, but they mm-hmm. are in a way staged, right? Okay. So, I, I, so I, that, that makes some sense. This one I'm okay with. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, he's drawn to... Okay, this is where we get... This, we're, in the, we're in it now. He's drawn to those who are experiencing some kind of trauma or grief. <gasps> this is how he chooses his victims. Is it more complex than that? Or is it that simple? I think it's that simple. It, okay. Yeah. Although, but this, here's the confusion. Lester Billings' family, at least in the movie, the way he, pres- he the way it unfolds between his discussions again with the doctor and even Rita with um, Sadie, it doesn't feel like that family was was 
going through anything at the time when no it, he did say the first baby died of like natural causes Sids. yes mm-hmm. oh i thought that that is what they say happened but that's the, boogeyman the killed story the, baby. the story the boogeyman killed the baby allegedly um and but in the movie yes the baby dies of natural causes and because they are upset because of this grief that they're experiencing that's when the boogeyman gets in oh so you're saying that this they have a second baby and that's they have the a second baby that dies yeah that's confusing to me that that's me. the one bojman killed that's yes. confusing Bozeman that said, confused me that confused so okay me. a lot of babies this, in that family let's just yeah, say this not anymore. grief and trauma are not rare commodities in this world mm. this boogeyman doesn't need to travel far to find more grief and trauma so has it been in this community specifically uh, doing boogeyman things, this is where microfiche would have helped. Am <laughs> yeah. I right? This is where D'Onofrio, again, the I trifecta. D'Onofrio in this movie. Well, we know that Chris Messina, I'm sorry, that um, Lester Billings went to Chris Messina because he had just lost his wife because he read about that article in the newspaper. He was like, I know you would understand about this kind of loss. So he kind of just did the boogeyman's homework for him. He's like, hey, here's another family you're going to like, you know? Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah. Uh, so hangs around okay. after that, yeah. <laughs> he's, I, he's like in Fight Club and he just hangs out at like the support group, you know? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Before killing his victims, a pair of hands emerge from his mouth and pull some kind of black gunky, uh, Lisey Story Dominion. Bad gunky, yeah. From bad gunky. Bad gunky from your orifices. Is this the grief it feeds off? And does it need that to live? What is the implication of that? Uh, it doesn't just read. did it did it do that to Lester before it staged his suicide? I, I think that's a good read on it because yeah. yeah, it's Lester didn't look harmed in any other way other than he had hung himself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when we saw the uh, the black bad gunky getting sucked out of Sophie's character, it seems like they had to do it. They said you know it bleeds, so if you bleed, you need some sort of fuel to source you know the blood production and oxygen in your body or whatever it lives off of. So I think, yeah, it must literally just live off here like that. Um, yeah. And so, side comment to the design of the arms coming out of the mouth, that was a great creature That was cool. Effect. Very mm-hmm. cool. That's in my, I'm going to talk about that later. Uh, okay. So this is a corporeal being, uh, yet what it sucks from its victims is uh, something that does not exist. Uh, we can cut people open who are sad and we will not find bad gunky. So whatever this metaphorical uh, or, you know, so whatever the substance is, seems to exist only in the realm of the boogeyman. Only mm-hmm. he can manifest our grief into black gunky that he consumes that feeds him. You know, Pennywise just ate kids. Yeah. He didn't yeah. need a special substance. Boogeyman well, might want to take some notes. Boogeyman mm-hmm. might be eating cortisol. The stress hormone, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That would explain why so, getting people really traumatized, upping their cortisol levels, and then sucking that out. Yeah. I don't know. Is my hey, cortisol Pennywise black? Can... <laughs> I mean, I, has anyone I ever guess? seen it? <laughs> I guess. Here's the Time thing. Time to cut here's ourselves the, open. Here's the big thing. Oh, wait, are, is there more, Randall? I have one more. I know. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it can be defeated with light. If you set it on fire, it will leave you alone Apparently, but will it then continue to haunt you or is the final scene meant to be in Sadie's mind or did she kill it 
or does it go somewhere else? I don't know what happened to Mr. Bojman after they set him on fire. I have an idea. Okay. I do believe that Beaumont Ogieman, nicknamed Bo, <laughs> Bogeyman, he survived. And that is his voice calling to Sadie at the end of the movie. Okay. Which mirrors the short story. Can you come back mm-hmm. here for one second or whatever? Or come back in the room. Get them back in the room somehow. And she sees the door open. And then, you know, if she opens that door or if she doesn't close it, it's going to haunt her. But by closing the door triumphantly, she is therefore no longer um, filled with trauma. She's defeated her demons and she will be fine. Okay. It's Babadook little, rules. Little it's, tidy. Yes, huh? it's Bob, Babadook rules. It's very hug me horror. Yeah. Little tidy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is my problem. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to say this. <laughs> After we've gone through what is Bozeman, I was, because I, all I could think of, and this is, maybe it's my problem. Maybe it's a Randy problem, <laughs> but I could not stop thinking about the rules because none of it was making sense to me. And when I do that, I start to dissect a movie in ways that are never more edifying unless you're like watching Lynch or something. Mm. So it's like there are a lot of uh, horror movies that I love that if I sat down to dissect them would completely fall apart, but I didn't care because I didn't think about it while watching the movie Yeah, because it was effectively rendered and it was consistent to whatever degree. Uh, so, I mean, and I think a lot of this has to do with prioritizing metaphor over story, character, scares like especially when your metaphor boils down to holding on to grief makes you sad and inert and alienating you care so little about the world you've created that you bend it to psychological buzzwords and concepts that are too vague to carry actual weight and specificity resulting in characters actions and motivations that lack weight and tangibility the story itself becomes secondary so you start allowing the boogeyman to do anything and be anything the plot requires of him because you haven't thought through what's true and what isn't in this world. I don't like thinking about rules <laughs> in a horror movie, especially when you start asking about it. The movie, in my opinion, has lost you. And uh, I think that's like where I land with this movie is in the pr- my problem with, I think, metaphor forward. I mean, here's the thing. There's metaphors in every movie. I'm not like saying horror doesn't have metaphors. Every horror movie, uh, the horror movies that never intended to have metaphors have metaphors. It's it's when you write with that leading you down the path. You know what I mean? It's like when you say, I am making a movie about trauma and it is a horror movie. And then you start, you, you, you completely disregard reality in order to suit everything towards that metaphor. And then nothing matters. You know, and uh, Smile was sort of guilty of this, too, although I like Smile better. It's there is. And then it's it's just like it feels to me uh, a betrayal of the actual story, which is what people are really here to see. You know, and it's not Mm -hmm. as if this movie's saying anything new about I mean, this is the same shit we've watched in like 10 different horror movies over the last two years. It's just like grief is bad and it, it is a ghost that haunts you and you need to let it go, which again is so fucking pat. And it's just kind of like, like you don't shut a door and you're over the death of your mother. Like the shit like lingers with you. I mean, if anything, mm-hmm. like it follows was like a really strong, like the metaphor in that movie, I think worked a lot better where, uh, cause there is, cause it has that great ambiguous ending spoilers for 
uh, it follows mm. that great amb- ambiguous ending where she's walking with her boyfriend and she's you know clearly overcome something yet someone is behind them and you don't know if it's a follower or if it's just a person that to me is like a really effective uh you know in, uh, manifestation of a lot of these same concepts uh because she's also mourning in that mm-hmm. movie so i don't know anything i'm what justin what do you think i i just it's it's this might be a simplification but i think when you demystify something in a story that will begin to lose power once it's demystified it's hard to survive as a story mm-hmm. and i think that for me when you and again, maybe if, if nobody's read that short story, you're going to come at this a totally different way. And that's very possible. It's very possible. But I just love the fact that Billings does not know exactly what this boogeyman is in that short story. Mm-hmm. Doesn't understand how it really operates. Sees what it does, but doesn't know why it does it. Doesn't have any idea as to why it does it. And you don't care. All you know is that the boogeyman is apparently real, and that's frightening enough. But Randy, like you said... This movie goes out of its way to present either rules or actions. And when you start to combine all together, it just doesn't really coalesce, which yeah. is the word I think in an episode I said we should ban. But <laughs> I'm going I'm to say coalesce anyway. And that's the problem. I, I maintain, I, I keep going back to it, but I just really feel like this movie, the story works better as part of an anthology. I would love to see Rob Savage have done like a 25-minute version of this. Yeah. And to, to go back further, it's like, Jen, like you said, it's we're living in the wake of these movies that try to do Get Out and more often than not have failed. These mm-hmm. movies have tried to do The Babadook and more often than not have failed. Mm-hmm. So that's just, I, mean, I have, yeah, I have a lot of questions about first drafts versus the final draft of this movie too. I would love to know mm-hmm. what the first draft looked like. Exactly. I feel the same way. I f- that's why I'm so curious about the rear. This this movie to me ultimately, and I don't want to sound too harsh because I think there's a lot to like and we'll talk about that, but this does feel like a movie that was rewritten about 12 times. Um, and there's scraps from multiple drafts that linger. And I think that's how we end up with like that bully character who makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it never gets because, a satisfying comeuppance either. I know. Man, like at least in uh, Mr. Harrigan's phone, like the bully storyline, you know, was mm-hmm. rendered a bit better. Uh, okay, I have like, a question. Wouldn't this movie have been better if, you know, Sophie and, and the family defeat the boogeyman were done? And but that movie ends with the bully's house yeah. and her closet yes. door opening. I'd be like, that would have been right. I would that would have a different been fine. kind of darkness. And maybe the bigger yes. man's like, ooh, I like this better. Yeah, just like know? cut to Natalie and she's like going through a closet, talking to her friend, being like, Yeah, can you believe what a bitch? I have a and then yeah. she like slams <laughs> oh, the door. Man, the door and then you just oh, see that would it be, open. That would be so much more satisfying than and the And then the girl from the ring is in there. Yeah. <laughs> that's the sequel, Bojman's Revenge. <laughs> Wait, if, if it's if the ring, the ring universe from rings, so once again Vincent D'Onofrio shows up again. Mm. Are you are you, are you here about Samara the or the Boogeyman? Oh, I love it. Uh, any other thoughts uh, here before we move on to our next section? I want to defend. I think the 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 metaphor. I think a little bit, and I agree with everything you're saying. I do not think it is clearly spelled out. I think it a lot of times with things like this comes down to can you actually kill it or not and when mm-hmm. you tell me that it is a corporeal thing and it can be killed mm-hmm. then you have to follow through on that and grief is not something that can be killed and so there's kind of a mismatch there that said i feel like i like the um i feel like it kind of rides the middle line between not explaining too much and explaining just enough to tell me it's babadook rules just don't worry about it wait till it's there's another 
scary thing under the bed, you know? So it kind of uses the shorthand of a lot of movies that have come before it. And I think that's why I was willing to let it go because I really enjoy movies like that a lot. I know that we've seen them a lot and I get the criticism, but it's just, I dig it a lot, you know? And I like it when the ending is hopeful too. Like Bob Duke Mm -hmm. and It Follows are two of my favorites, but Smile was hard for me to watch. As much as I think it is a great movie, it, the ending like got me, you know, and I liked that this one is a little more upbeat even. And so I think it works for me to the point where I'm able to let a lot of that go. But when, when you actually start reading the list out, you're exactly right. Like (laughs) the rules don't hang together. I think I just don't. And the thing is, it it would be less of an issue if there was just the slightest bit more of consistency Mm -hmm. or if they didn't put lines in. Like, I'm telling you, that line about it being around since the beginning of time tripped me up so much (laughs) because that is true only about the metaphor. That does not make sense about the creature. Right. And so that is a line that exists to juice the metaphor. And it does not serve the creature. And, and, and I am like, you you can't, like, Smile was better about this, about allowing the creature to exist in many ways independent of the metaphor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but its rules were even more frustrating. I agree. I yeah. struggled with, I was not a big fan of Smile, but I think it at least did better. So and also, Fleer, if it had been around for the beginning of time, too, it seems like it'd have to be around since the invention of closets. Because the only way that it's seen to transport well, no, it is used through to do caves. caves. Well, that's a yeah. closet. But, but, no, but, okay. but if they held know? their loincloth in a cave closet, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because like the Lester character, I'm like, all right, why don't you get like a single, a studio, studio apartment, apartment that has no closet no and closets. like, you know, mm-hmm. I, the Bunsen burner oven and just no closets. You're good, right? Yeah. It's just so, studio apartment. Hang that, hang those clothes in like the, the door frame of your bathroom or something like that. Um, yeah. I think the thing is, I I also, I always talk about this like with, with people who, rail against king having too many happy endings i always say you need the light with the dark like if everything is depressing all the time that sucks but if everything is happy all the time that can get boring as well i wonder for me if if it's because i love that fantastic scary ending of the short story that it's affecting my appreciation for the movie in that regard at least to the very end like i said kind of how i think that turning this turning a screw and the haunting of Hill House novels are fantastically bleak, and those return into these kind of sweet endings. Like I just don't understand why we can't just stick to these fantastic finishes that those books do. It's just a really, and maybe that's because audiences don't want that anymore. We need to be not coddled, but just kind of <laughs> made to feel safe. Where mm-hmm. I, that's that's a possibility. I mean, it has to be a, re- a reason for that. It has to be a reason for that. Well, and it's not just that it's a happy ending. It's that story is mean, you know, it's cruel. Like there are three toddlers that die in that story. Like it is a hard story to read. And it's one that terrified me when I was a kid and then terrified me for completely different reasons. Once I had kids, you know, and it works. And I mean, you could read that story as a metaphor for anger and violence also like i think y'all talked about it on your episode like you could read the story as lester is the boogeyman and he is the one that killed all three of his Mm -hmm. kids so that one has a like kind of a dual reading too but it works better because they never mention that they the story Mm -hmm. like king does not ever imply that the boogeyman 
is Lester, you have to read between the lines. And I think there's just enough to hint at it to make it unsettling at a different level, you know? And I think here it's, I'm talking myself out of, I think, liking it as much as I did. It's like, <laughs> no, there's no. just I'm enough, sorry. you know? <laughs> well, that's a thing. Um, it's I think oh, that's what we were saying too, Jen. It's just, and if King had made that into a longer story, mm-hmm. it probably would not have been as effective. Right. And that's the beauty of King short stories. It's I because agree. he can leave them on that like lightning bolt ending, you know? Yep. Let's cool. just say this version of the Boogeyman not getting published in Cavalier. <laughs> uh, speaking of Mr. King, let's move on to our next section, Beam Breakers. Why does the man in black want to destroy the tower? The tower protects both our worlds. If it falls, hell will be unleashed. Here in Beam Breakers, we talk about the question of Stephen King himself. Is this a Stephen King adaptation? Does this feel like a Stephen King story? Uh, I think that's a good question, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. Dan Flieger, what do you think? Uh, I mean, it's got the uh, the roots are a Stephen King story, but again, it's such a short story that you just couldn't stretch it out. It's kind of like what Justin said. Like, this might have played better, you know, as I always say, like a Twilight Zone or a yeah. Tales from the Crypt episode. It just doesn't seem like there's enough meat on the bones, so anything you do, you're going to have to be adding and as soon as you're starting to add that many story elements, you're deviating from a true Stephen King story. So it might, the roots are there, but I don't know if I would consider this a full Stephen King story. Yeah. Jen. I think it feels like a Stephen King story, but not the Stephen King story it is adapted from, you know? And it's kind of like when we were talking about blaze, it's like we could feel the Bachman elements and we could feel the King elements and they were kind of like bumping into each other. You know, it's like, I feel like this is the kind of story if King pulled this out of his trunk and rewrote it to release. Now, this might be the version that he would write. I think he would do Mm -hmm. it more elegantly. um, And I think the rules either would make sense or they wouldn't be as spelled out, but and if like that line, uh, it's been around forever, would be a direct reference to Pennywise, you know, which I wonder, yeah. I can't imagine the filmmakers were actually doing that. Like, that seems like maybe weird. No, I don't think so. Hole, you know? uh, yeah. Different film studio, too. I feel like that'd be problems. Yeah. True. Justin, what do you think? I mean, the five minute session with Lester and Will, I mean, that is largely cribbed from the short story. Yeah. Down to some of the, the actual words that were used. I mean, because you've got kids in peril, you, you do. There is definitely some some it going on. It's just instead of you know there being seven losers, it's just one. Yeah, and their kid, like Georgie, is the little girl. You know what I mean? But Georgie mm. lives. You know, yeah. I feel like there's some of that there. But to me, it feels much more in line with just smile that does a Stephen yeah. King story. Yeah. yeah. It feels more in line with contemporary horror, whether it's exactly. It Follows, Smile. I, you know, I think this is more of a director making movies in the present. Mm-hmm. Even the creature design, like there was a little bit of malignant in there. Mm-hmm. I thought the actually the Conjuring Denis Villeneuve, too. And- the enemy spider, if you guys have seen the Denny Villeneuve film, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. It, it seemed more of the present state of horror than the short story that King wrote decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you might all be wondering why I brought up Venom and er- Venom earlier, and uh, <laughs> the reason is because as soon as I saw the drawing that Lester did, I think I whispered to Justin, "It's Venom." <laughs> <laughs> and what there be, be Boogeyman? <laughs> that, that would be really funny, uh, Jen. 
I do. I was, um, I'm writing a piece about the ending and I was digging through some quotes from Rob Savage and he said kind of about the differing ending. He said, King is not a cynical writer. This adaptation attacks the source material in a new way that maintains the warmth of the character and a character or like warm characters. Wait, I think the is warmth some, of the character, the war, yeah. what character, I think the family, like the core family, not less. There's nothing Billings. warm in that story. No, there's not. Exactly. The, the warmth in King's writing. I, I think. Guess? Yes. I think that's what he's saying. I think he is approaching the Harper family as a Stephen King family rather than and like adapting the boogeyman original story and adding in the warmth of other King books. You know, hmm. it's like which I, family? I struggle with that because I don't I didn't like one of the key elements I think that binds King's characters together is humor. I think mm-hmm. uh, when we see a family or characters that love each other in King, they make each other laugh. And I think like, you know, you mentioned this earlier, Justin, about the idea of when we start in this pit of despair, it it there's not a lot of places for the character to go. And there's a cut, there's like one or two small bits of humor that are inserted into the film, but they're completely swallowed by the cloud of grief that hangs over this. And I think that you can make, you can do grief and a lot of, you know, great things have done grief in in ways that are surprising or spontaneous or uh, a little weird or funny, you know, it's like, there are ways to do that. And I think that I did not see any king in this family or any warmth in this family because they all felt on an island Mm -hmm. i did not feel that there was a connection between these characters for as good as these actors are i'm not dinging the performances necessarily i just don't think they had a lot to work with uh and so that's where i i think that's where i struggle with i don't see the king influence here because even some of the weirder or like not weirder even some of like the auxiliary characters like the like king is so good at creating these like these little uh, minor characters that pop, right? That mm-hmm. like can have some burst of personality or a little bit of humor or something that that kind of punctures the world in a really fun way. And like all the characters kind of operate at similar uh, uh, similar like wavelengths to the rest of the characters. Like even the other therapist uh, that they go see the woman, like I don't remember anything about her performance. And I don't think that's her fault. I think, except for the creepy shot of her where I'm like, Oh, is she Bozeman? But Mm -hmm. then I don't think she was. So it's like, you know, and then, you know, Desmalchian's character, I would rather he be like Lester. I would rather him be a little weirder than just straight, like, uh, dark, sad. sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I feel like there's a weirdness that King has. That's not here because this does feel, and I think that, the weirdness is perhaps what would help it feel less like just another studio horror movie, you know? Well, and I think that's a misread of what it is that actually makes King's stories feel warm, you know, as like, I think he's thinking the family comes together at the end and they defeat the boogeyman together. And that's a quartet. And I think we've read enough King to know that there's a lot, you need a lot more to really earn that. So I think Mm -hmm. it's an attempt to bring that kind of, king feel like that tells me i don't know that the writer has read king and knows a little bit but doesn't quite get all of the mechanics of it you know because it doesn't feel earned you know right i feel like what forms a quartet is it's not just blood right like being family in king does not equal i love you no matter what if anything family is often kind of a toxic force in king that 
people build their own families, like the Losers Club, right? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, like a lot of, or, you know, look at Gunslinger, like how far flung all these characters are. And all of them are in some ways alienated by people in their bloodline. It's a a lot of, the Cotet is a a found family. And I Mm -hmm. feel like here they do a lot of leaning on just, you're my father, you're my sister, I love you. And that to me is not warmth. That is just narrative expediency. Uh, you know, I need to see the relationship a little bit more. And that's hard when everyone's just sad all the time, you know? So I don't, yeah, I don't mean to like over, over criticize. I think like, but that's what we're, you know, or dispute because I'm sure that there is a lot of truth in like a quote like that, but that's like one where I bristle up against it because, Uh um, I just don't see that on the screen. Um, so yeah, for me personally, I didn't see a lot of King in this story, in this adaptation. Um, I wish I saw more, but it didn't feel like a King to me. So I don't know. Any other thoughts on that? Okay. I've said my piece. I'm ending (laughs) it on that gloomy note, like (laughs) gloomy as the movie. Speaking of gloom and doom, let's head over to our nightmares and dreamscapes section. If you think your dreams are disturbing, (laughs) imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. Okay, here in Nightmares and Dreamscapes, we talk about one thing we really hated and one thing we really loved. So let's start with stuff we love because we've been a little... Uh, bitchy on this pod um, or at least I have uh, something I loved uh, that I is is je- I think Rob Savage is really good at structuring a scare and I think he has good ideas I mean you saw this a lot in host and to a lesser degree in dash camp it's still some somewhat he knows how to set up and stage like a set piece and even though I didn't love, I, I had questions about the scene at the therapist's office with the blinking red light, like that would, you know, blink and then there would be darkness, blink, darkness, you know, just to help them get used to the being afraid of the dark. I think that that concept, especially with the use of the red light and then the idea of the boogeyman getting closer and closer as the light blinks, that to me is a really simple, effective scare. And I think there are several of those in this movie that, like, honestly, disappointed as I was by this, I don't blame, like, Rob Savage for that because I do think it was competently directed. And I think a lot of the scares worked for me. But it's like, for me, the script is where it really suffers. So I think that the general, I, I will give props to scenes like that. Or, you know, Flieger, you mentioned it earlier the the sort of hands that emerge from the boogeyman's mouth and uh that's a really grotesque visceral image and that's where you can sort of see him utilizing the budget that he can get from this that he didn't have with his other movies and that to me is like a really good execution of that so uh yeah justin what about you what was something that you really enjoyed i do think the the way we hear the boogeyman working out like literally rehearsing almost other people's voices the the vocal effects and the special effects on those voices that was effective to me i thought that was that worked well that was creepy flager yeah i agree with the voice thing too that's what i was going to say but i would actually say the casting was really good in this film i thought everyone kind of nailed their part you know it's if there were some script problems as randall alluded to that's not really their fault but Mm -hmm. i thought the sisters was it uh 
was it Vivian Blair? I thought she was really good. The younger sister, Thatcher, mm-hmm. was really good. They seem believable as a family struck by grief with you know the loss of their mother. And I, the three main leads I thought were pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Jen, um, the red and black or the red lights that got me the tooth part freaked me out a lot. Oh too. yes, that was fun. I've got um, a kid who's about to lose a bunch of teeth right now, so I was like. Oh. Let's not use the closet. But there's one line that it's it's almost like a throwaway, but it really got to me. It's when um, the little girl is on the bus and they're pulling up past her house and they see all of the the like the hearse or the the ambulance. That's the word Mm. I'm looking for. And a little kid that's next to her was like, "Oh shit, your dad's not dead too, right?" And just the (sighs) weight of that line just really hit me. I was like, "Oh, I can't imagine how." horrified she would be to pull up to her house and see all of those cars out there so i don't know it probably i don't think that was intended to be scary but it well i think we all laughed at that i was gonna say the, the, the theater only... kind of laughed I, I don't know if that was supposed oh. to be like a dark joke or if that was supposed to be played straight but yeah, i thought i, I, I thought it was supposed to be so taken unexpected. as like a dark joke it's like kids I can crap. be so cruel even unintentionally yeah. yeah well see it made sense like jen i can see you having that reaction like absolutely i mm. uh, i think we all laugh though just because it was a it was like an honest moment of how yes. kids can be assholes. Mm-hmm. Like, and I even which, realize it. I even realize it. Yeah, right. which was yeah. different than the bully girl uh, mm-hmm. who was so performatively <laughs> nasty and mean. The Just the girl casually saying on the bus, oh, is your dad dead too? Like, we all laughed because it's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like, the, yeah. But that is <laughs> the kind of thing. It was uncomfortable, yeah. That was the kind of thing a kid would believably say with mm-hmm. no ill intent whatsoever, but just because they don't understand that kind of decorum. There's no that filter. To me, yeah, that to me was actually a really, like, honest moment that uh, felt true to that age. You know yeah. what I mean? So. Yeah, well, and there's so few moments of humor in this movie, too. You kind of, <laughs> it, it felt like hearing you guys talk about a laugh, it felt like the kind of the moment in Megan where the cop is like, oh, I shouldn't laugh. You know, it's just one of those kind of little chef's See, Megan, moments. I like Megan. That movie had a sense of humor. <laughs> and I appreciated fun. that. And a dance uh, sequence, you know? It was fun. No I, you know, you know dancing, it was added for the know? TikTok. And there were, okay and there were dead that. parents involved, and it was still fun. Yeah. <laughs> they earned that shit. Um, okay. <laughs> nightmares worst moments mm. something that you really really are carrying with you in the blackest pits of your heart then. okay <laughs> i want that blonde bitch to go down i was so mad that she did not get any comeuppance i oh, kept yeah. waiting for it or for her at least to see the boogeyman or something and though nope she's just she's gonna come back the next day she's gonna be blair waldorf and they're gonna have fun at school and that crazy sody you know <sighs> just drove me crazy you know, especially the in the Walden. outsider as well <laughs> yeah i've been watching gossip girl so. sorry that, that actress though is in the outsider also oh, oh really she? yeah the character is natalie i forget her actual name it's uh, huh. da, 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 uh maddie nichols oh, oh. Hmm. fun fact okay. so. i didn't kill that kid ralph it's king's, yep. <laughs> king's dominion right there yeah uh justin i don't know if you left but that that really weird section when in the bathroom <laughs> Yes. When um, Sadie and Bethany, I think that's her friend's name, and they're having like that, that heart-to-heart, and they kind of make amends, and then there's that really weird like <laughs> six-second needle drop of Beck's Blue Moon, and then the scene ends, and the song just drops away. falls away. It's gone. Really? I, that was really... I started laughing. It was very the strange. The other great part of that scene. Oh, I've was, seen you piss a million times? Well, yeah, like it? she was peeing and she was looking at her over the uh, stall door. And here's the thing. I don't... If you watch your friends pee, that's cool. But... Yeah. 
the way she said, uh, I've watched you pee a million times. Yeah. What? It was a She's got weird a camera in her bathroom. Yeah, it was really I, I didn't I missed yeah, I heard they that too. See, a better it. actor would have made a meal out of that line. <laughs> yeah. I watch you pee. She just kind of said it. A million times. <laughs> and it just sat there. No, it's just, and I yeah. was like, what am I supposed to do with that line? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have and seen some of my friends with, piss before. What the before. fuck? You watch me yeah. pee? Yeah. yeah no, I've seen hands. some of my friends piss before. I have yeah, never, yes, like, they did touch it's, hands. it's never been like a constant. Like, I haven't seen them multiple times piss. You know, it's more of just like a, a moment of. Uh, convenience or or circumstance uh but this implies that this is a ritual between them so <laughs> this is another very, boogeyman rule that we missed out on Judd, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah oh god you know oh no i feel like uh i feel like that's what i hate is that they just set the boogeyman on fire to destroy him mm. and that's yeah. a what you just said jen about like ritual of chud it's like i almost wanted something like that like as much as i didn't like it chapter two at least there was sort of this uh effort to add a mystical element to mm. how they defeated it and something that is a little metaphysical because i i don't know especially in a movie that's all about these vague notions of uh, all about feelings right you do i would think that there would be something less uh just blunt force like oh i just like shoot it with a shotgun punch it in the head and set it on fire like you kill it in the same way you kill i don't know like a serial killer or something it, that to me was just very jarring uh mm -hmm. I, I wanted something that was a little more creative metaphysical something even if i made fun of it i would have at least appreciated it you didn't uh, get the left flame mother the mother magic love flame Oh, I forgot they, about that. They killed, that was, they killed the Okay, I hated that too. That was really <laughs> stupid. Oh, God. Uh, that's right. I totally forgot about that because... Mom, if you're here, move the flame. I kind of like Oh, that. God. I forgot about that. Okay. Oh, my God. So I actually, there like was. That. I am proven wrong, but oh, uh, sadly, like didn't mother quite work for me. Yeah. I needed like the che ghost Chekhov's of the mother there. Chekhov's lighter earlier on that movie, no, Yeah. <laughs> Chekhov's mother lighter. ghost. Oh, my Lord. I needed, I needed like... Uh, uh, the way that Mother Abigail's head hangs over the baby in oh, yeah. the miniseries. I needed that with her mom a couple of times. I was the thinking like maybe too. Chris yeah. Kattan's ghost from House of Hunter Hill is going to show up and like open the door or something like that. Oh, We're God. Jen, I forgot all about that. All that these scene. different I, fr I made my stomach roll. Uh, oh, my Flieger, God. What did you hate? Uh, the Upside Down. I, I felt like <laughs> this. there's a real Stranger Things totally. aesthetic oh, to a lot of these yeah. that is going to probably be in you know in the next 10 years of movie making mm -hmm. and i think they actually the stranger things there's someone on the production crew i believe that was involved with that and you can just definitely tell um uh, it's just a lot of the effects i don't know if it's the state of the cgi right now or the creature design but there's a lot of stranger things visuals in this movie yeah no. kind of took me out far. of it a little bit what did you guys think of um the cgi in general i thought it was okay yeah mm. yeah it didn't it bother me the you key know? is that they kept so much of it in the dark. Yeah, I, when it's you obscured, know, you can in the dark get away with a lot. Yeah. I and was I, thinking about... Oh, go ahead. No, no, you got it. Well, as I say, I was thinking about the Children of the Corn Monster and that I was really excited that we got to see it. And I kind of felt the same way here. Like, I didn't want it to always be in the dark and just like glowing eyes in the dark. Like, I wanted to see the monster. And when I actually did, it didn't... It wasn't egregious, you know? It felt mm -hmm. like yeah. what I expected it to feel like. Yeah, you know? and the creature design was pretty cool. Like we were saying, the arms mm -hmm. coming out of the mouth. I'm like, oh, that's something I've never seen before, right? Yeah. But still did kind of look like some of the monsters from Stranger Things or I guess, like I said, uh, Malignant. Yeah, I don't mm -hmm. think it was necessarily yeah. the effects failing. I just think that, you know, when I think about the boogeyman, I think about, like, a man. 
Yeah. Not not yeah. like a spider. Yeah, like a hairy creature almost. Yeah. I imagine Ooh. like a creep show monster, like um yeah. like um dude from Ted Danson, like kind of crawling out of the ocean, only more How ice, about Ted Danson know? playing Ooh. the boogeyman in this? It would have been a damages reunion with him and Chris Messina. <laughs> I think he was in that season too. I can't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. I think the I, I I think that they nailed the boogeyman was cool when we got to see the all the boogeyman. Like it was like it was like smile in that way. Like yeah, it the the creature ultimately worked. Like it was good. It wasn't. I wouldn't call it like practical. Um, it still felt CGI to me, but it worked. Whereas mm. I felt like in Smile, like there was a practical quality to that creature. Mm-hmm. But it's been a while since I've seen it. But anyways. Um, I want a little bit of practical at least. And, but I, I will say like some of the jump scares, they were so fast to me, like the flash of the boogeyman, right? Like when it's right up close, it was so fast that I was getting like gummy CGI vibes and I thought it worked better when they lingered, but I think some of those quick jump scares, I could see the gumminess of the CGI and that bugged me and I thought that I thought that was a a consequence of because you know Jen and I watched this on screeners and then I went to go see it at um the theater because I felt like my tv just sucked and I wasn't seeing the monster very well and it was better on the big screen but there were some instances where I'm like oh no that's just like really dark Mm -hmm. and um I feel like they were masking maybe some at least in a couple of the early jump scares like some of the perhaps underdeveloped CGI but I think when it really counted it worked so yeah. yeah, I give them credit for that. I liked okay. the effect of the green and red blinking Christmas lights. I thought that was a nice little touch too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did, but didn't it start to feel like lights out after a while? Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know if I liked this more than lights out. I think I did. I struggled with lights out, but I remember mainly you really just did not. Well, like I was mad. I was mad. I think I might like it more if I revisited it because now every movie. Uh, tries to shatter your eardrums when there's a mm-hmm. jump scare. So my ears have, have deadened and gotten used to it. At that time, that was the loudest movie I had ever seen in my life. I will and say I the wanted... short film, the short film for oh. Lights Out is really great. Oh, it's scared fantastic. the shit out of me. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I've revisited Lights Out recently because I was like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe. And it didn't hold up. Oh, it didn't hold up for you? Yeah. It's yeah, just, not so it, much. I, people really loved it. But for me, it was like every, I just, it felt like there was an air horn blowing in my ear like every five seconds. And I don't like, I, I'm okay with jump scares. You can do jump scares without without shrieking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyways, blah, blah, blah. Let's, uh, speaking of scares, great segue. Let's go to the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. Here on the cemetery, we talk about the scariest moments. We might have already touched on some of this. But, uh, you know, Justin, you talked about under the bed uh, shit earlier. That it's I don't care how many times I've seen it. Under the bed shit always scares me. Mm -hmm. Like. Uh, Inc. released earlier mm-hmm. this year. One of the best uses of that I've ever seen, but it was also effective here, even though I saw it play out in like five different trailers. It mm. still freaked me out. Under the bed will always be scary. Jen, what scared you? That blinking red light that got me. Yeah. I knew exactly what was going to happen, but just like 
if it like you can't see it and then it's a little closer that's gonna get me every time I think and yeah. her her like creepy eyes like they styled that actress perfectly for that scene you know because mm-hmm. she looks relatively normal in the daylight but just that one glimpse of her face with those circular glasses ooh, creeped me out does anybody like recognize the- that actor I did, but I couldn't remember who. Oh, her, her name's um, Lisa Gay Hamilton, I believe. She was in Jackie Brown. Yes, as oh. the woman at the uh, at the mall, the food court. Yes. Yeah. I love Jackie Brown. Okay. She's really uh, Justin. I mean, the flashing red light, like everybody's been saying, is really good. What I also love about that scene is that every time the light would come back on, it would be a different angle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you'd be seeing a different part of the room. You'd be either be seeing the doctor, the kids, the corner. Another angle of the kids. I thought that was really well telegraphed. And that re- that reminded me of what Rob Savage can do. Because that really right. harkened back to like host and, and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Fleer, the darkness to his advantage. I think the abandoned house is what creeped me out. Uh, Lester's just because like, it was so overgrown. You know, it's like I-, I can't stand like that show Hoarders is terrifying to me. Yeah. So any kind of like clutter or... Just like when stuff is left ramshackle, it really bothers me. And then when you find out that there is a person that's still living there, I was just like, mm-hmm. yeah, smell I actually, it off the screen. That's a really good one because even though I didn't think that stuff story wise ultimately worked, the stuff with um with the widow is, I thought the the state of the house and the idea that it's like this suburban house, right? Like it's just there on the it's there on the street with a bunch of neighbors. It's not like buried in the woods somewhere. The idea of that like abandoned, filthy, disgusting, falling into disrepair and squalor like suburban house was was unnerving to me. Yeah, so I, I think they should have only went there once for like yeah. the yeah. booby trap scene. It seemed weird to go, not really get the full story, and then return. But that it, it was seemed... still pretty creepy. <laughs> Like a reshoot. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say that's, that's like a that's, the that's like an eleventh eleventh draft yeah. scene. Yeah, I figured out how to destroy the creature after I met you yesterday. Mm-hmm. After I've been trying to figure it out for months or years, come come now. Like okay. make that first one microfiche, and then yes, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. She could have done that just by reading interviews with that woman, mm-hmm. and it would have had a little more impact. And also, then when she's like, I figured out how to destroy it, but then it, did she really? And then I don't know if that's a separate complaint. You know what it reeks of? It reeks of some studio executive reading it or watching a, cl- a cut of it and saying, uh, like, 10 minutes have gone by without a scare. Yes. Or, yeah. like, without some, like, you you know, you need to add something right here. And they mm-hmm. just wedge that in. That's just the vibe I get. I could be totally wrong. But, you know, they do that shit now, which is very annoying. Um, you need this on page uh, 64. Okay. Uh, let's move on to our next section. Pound cake. After all you've been talking. Everyone in bad mama. Everything in the Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. I don't know if there's any pound cake. They're too sad to have to have filthy, disgusting sex. Except yeah. when they're watching each other pee. That, yeah, yeah, I guess the that, piss stuff. That and the touching hands in the bathroom stall. I'm like, at least yeah. wash your hands first. Then we'll, yeah. you know, do a powerful grip. But yeah, that if was someone some puts lazy... their hand over or foot under. I do not engage. That was some <laughs> lazy. Uh, Sort of, uh, I don't know, like they were trying to sort of imply that that she was gay, but they didn't really go yeah. there with it, which is it's fine. Disney. It was just, yeah, exa- I was going to say that's exactly why. You yeah. know, there's like, we need this shit to play in China. Yeah, we need exactly. to cut this frame out for China, yeah. Well, they exactly. cut out the scene where Disney and, or where Goofy and Boge make out. You know? Yeah, I know. That scene, I was really, After I read about After promising it that. to us, you know? There's an IMDb exactly. trivia thing about how Goofy was really nervous for that scene. Well, it was originally, uh, called, the, it was originally called the Goofyman. The Goofyman. 
And there's also there's also uh, there's also an IMDb trivia bit that says Chris Messina uh, thought it was really cool to work with <laughs> the Boogeyman. Really cool work with Bo- Boge. Really cool yeah. work with Boogeyman. Yeah, hey, everybody um, like it. Thumbs up that's it. A, that's a real deep cut for the real heads out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to explain that joke. Go ahead and look for it. Um, I only like half understand it. Wait, just tell them what's the movie? The fundamentals Just tell them to look at the trivia section for what movie? The Fundamentals of Caring with Selena Gomez and Paul Rudd. Look at the okay. trivia section. Just look at the trivia section. That's all we'll say. You know. And uh, we'll say then you'll, you'll understand this Famous King's joke. Connection. <laughs> Famous King Connection. Classic. Okay. King. Classic uh, King. Speaking of King Connections, let's stroll on over to King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. So here in King's Dominion, we talk about connections to the larger King canon. Justin is waving. Hello, Justin. I just wanted to say hello. I've got nothing here. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. I do. I. Uh, did you notice the two home addresses? The the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I know just one. One is two seventeen. What's the other one? The Harper 19. home address begins with nineteen. Oh, it, no, it just is just nineteen. 19. It's just nice. nineteen. Oh, it's just nineteen. There you go. Which I think I was kind of a little. I mean, I mean, like nineteen Sterling Way, but I just saw the number. I don't know the street name was. Uh, I think it was uh, nineteen King Stephen Avenue. King Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> what was that no. dumb bit that Mac we did like years ago? Yeah, we ago. said it was, it was, was going to be King an anthology Avenue? show called King Avenue. It was like a cul-de-sac of King characters. Oh yeah, Avenue. and like one was like all of the cells, all like, the cell phones were in the house. A robot. <laughs> so and the opening stupid. credits was his car turning on King Avenue and <laughs> oh, strolling God. up to the gate. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, no, no, I was being a bit of a bitch after the movie ended because I was just like, I'm not impressed by 19 references anymore. Yeah. I know that this is such a Stephen King podcast guy thing to say, <laughs> but it's like, it's like every, if you do it now, it's like such an easy, it's like throwing a St. Bernard in there or something, you know, but it's yeah. even easier than that. It's like, cause you have to get a St. Bernard or, you know, so this way a they're great just like, jump ah. scare where the Billings have a St. Bernard as a pet that jumps out at, at, um. Sadie, you know, I mean, I didn't yeah, love yeah I would have loved that. Cujo. Cujo yeah. Get off her. <laughs> you think he's rabid? Yeah, yeah that I, I definitely noticed the nineteen, uh, and then the only other one I had was when she's when we see the hands come out of the mouth, like when the mouth is open of the Bojeman. I felt like I saw some lights in there. And oh, I, thought I had a little bit of dead like light. Dead vibes, lights. Interesting. Which you know, there's already Pennywise kind of. I wouldn't say. Uh, uh, you know, explicit Pennywise nods, but I think and thematically and, and, you know, uh, kind of uh, weird when you think about the fact that the boogeyman apparently doesn't like light. Yeah. Oh. So well, the, the dead light lights inside. are, are yeah. a different kind of light. Well, cause okay. Pennywise and the boogeyman are like cousins and Pennywise oh, is always like getting Dandolo. all the glory, always getting all the hot people. We learned that movies, going so. through the microfiche. That's yeah. true. Exactly. Vincent That's why you always go through the microfiche. Yeah. The boogeyman yeah. shows up every 28 years. Yeah. <laughs> Did we catch any others? This movie didn't really. Oh, Jen's got one. I've got two more. One might be a stretch, but the high school is called McDonough High School. And I believe he's talked about Dennis McDonough when he's talking about um, uh, Richard Bachman and thinking of his name or that it's an author that he likes. Oh, interesting. Oh, I thought that was a reference to uh, The Banshees of Inishirin, which was written and directed by Martin McDonough. I mean, it, it could be. That's probably yeah. more likely. Um, but also, when she takes a pencil, they are black barrel beauty pencils. Oh, I. Oh. you know what? I did notice that. I forgot to make that note. Good call, Jen. And that's the kind of fun little Easter egg yeah, that I really appreciate. Cool. Yeah, those are fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Any others? Flieger? Um, uh, no, I really... I mean, other than that other actress being in The Outsider, not I, for... Uh, 
what I would assume is like a King Mega fan too. There were a lot of opportunities to shove a lot more references besides 19 into this. So I was kind of surprised. Yeah. Although every well, time there was a 19, Justin reached over the bathroom stall basically and like kicked my leg in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Just we do have the nightlight is a, is a moon, which is spelled M-O-O-N. So. Oh, that True. spells boogeyman. Ah, it does spell boat. Yeah. Boge. I'm on Boge. Christmas Cena's wiki page seeing if he was in any King movies, but I'm not seeing any. He wasn't in like Mercy or something like that? <laughs> uh, his first... Uh, he <laughs> oh, might have like... been in that actually. That oh, his That's first movie... That wasn't an educational film. His first movie was called When Dating Turns Dangerous. Oh, no. He's like, like a, Zach. Oh, man. NBC, Candace. Cameron it says Burr educational movie. film is all it says, and there's no mm. wiki page for it. I'll, I'll just have mm. to live not being able to see this movie. Uh, but no, his, his first movie after that in 1998, The Great Rounders. He played oh. Higgins. Oh, Great and Higgins. that's probably where he met Matt Damon. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Hence the air connection later and on. Argo, yeah. Yeah. And Argo, yeah. I had that poster on my wall for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Good yeah, movie. Why. Yeah. Do you did you do you like cards or you just got a Edward Norton crush? I liked Edward Norton and I think I got it for free. And it also pissed my mom off for some reason that I can't remember. You had a lot of stock in Gretchen Mall's career too. I, I heard did. Great, That's but... true. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, she's she's just she's Grand Borwick. No, she's not. She did Grand Borwick Empire though. She was Grand <laughs> Borwick Empire. She was in something recently too that we that's Jen. You just said it all. Oh, yeah. She was in something recently. <laughs> that's that's the career. Good actor. Um, that's not her fault. It's the way yeah, it happens no. sometimes, you know. <laughs> no, I don't see any any king on this list. Uh, alas, Gretchen Mall okay. king work. <laughs> um, okay, then let's move on to our final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> Okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Here in our final thoughts, we share our thought, our final thoughts, and uh, our bright red Pennywise clown nose ranking, and we'll do an MVP. So, Justin, let's start with you. Oh wait, no, I want to start with uh, something happy. Uh, no, Jen, this is going to be somewhat optimistic. No, you're a little, you're, yeah, you got a little gleam in your eye. You no, <laughs> I'm, being, I'm not being a little jerk. I swear. This is going to be Okay, Justin, I'll let you start. All right, stinker. Let's kidding. go. Let's go okay. We're going to give it four out of five or something over here? Okay. I, okay. <laughs> I, I love Stephen King's The Boogeyman short story. Rob Savage's host is really great. If you haven't seen it, I recommend actually watching it. I would never recommend this with most movies. Watch it through headphones on your laptop. Yeah. in the dark that's the best way to experience that movie mm-hmm. I, I think that there are some really terrific um uh, some really good sequences in this movie specifically the red light sequence that we keep talking about there just weren't a lot of scares for me um it's not this doesn't really come down to performances it just felt like there were a lot of pieces that were stitched together i think mm-hmm. and this story to me will always work best as a short story not yeah. as a this was like a hundred minute movie. I think it was, it was pretty mm-hmm. long. Yeah. It just did not work for me in the end. Um, Jen, I forgot all about the mother coming at the end to <laughs> the flame to save the day. I forgot all about that. And I have to give it uh two bright red light. Oh, I'm sorry. Two bread, two bright red penny wise clown noses. I think I got that. You, right. you want to take that again? Yeah. Let's do that again. Uh, <laughs> cut. Two bright red penny wise clown noses. MVP. MVP, I'm going to give it to – that's a really tough call right there. 
let's give it to Lester Billings, David Desmalchian. Always good. good. My favorite yeah. scene of the movie, probably. Yeah. Uh, small role, big impact. Yeah. Dan Flieger. Hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of agree mostly with Justin. Um, it does work much better as a short story. I think a lot of the terror in the story is kind of the filling in the blanks of what it looks like. I did like the creature design, even if it felt a little derivative of other horror movies. I did think it was pretty cool. I wanted to see it. I'm glad they gave us a good shot of it. A little long, though. Not a lot of meat on the bones of the original story, so to space it out to 100 minutes does seem a little strange. But a fun movie nonetheless. I think you could walk in knowing very little about this story and have a good time. You know, teens having fun on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to give it two and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses. And uh, yeah, can I also pick David D as my yeah uh, MVP? I just really love that actor. He's fantastic. He's in a movie, like an, a horror indie where he plays like a talk show host. Yeah, uh, it looks it looks really good, um, and I've heard good things about it outside of festivals. And he's the lead in that, so he won't be disappearing after the first fifteen minutes of that movie. Uh, Jen, um, so I don't know. I approached this movie, I think, wanting to like it, but also knowing that I wasn't. It wasn't going to be. Mm-hmm. the story you know there's no way that a disney movie was going to kill as many kids as that story does you know <laughs> so i think point. i had kind of like as opposed to when i went into firestarter and i had so much like pinned on what they were going to do with this one with this with the boogeyman i was like man there are going to be some spooky things in the closet and some spooky things under the bed and if they can do that and not like egregiously piss me off then i will have a good time and i kept waiting for it to like piss me off and it didn't you know and mm-hmm. i I think, you know, I said a lot about the metaphor. It it wrote a really thin line and it managed to thread the needle for me in a way that didn't bug me. And and I have fun and I was spooked out and it kind of captured that feeling of the story of like the closet doors open just a crack and maybe it's just a little closer this time. And I think the spooks got me enough to let go of a lot of the stuff that didn't really make sense. So mm-hmm. um, three, I think I'm going to give it a three. Oh, um, MVP. And- uh, Vivian Lyra Blair, I think, for a child actress oh, um, for yeah. this role. Yeah, she's also in the new Fatal Attraction, which is not good. Um, but she's yeah, great. I heard it wasn't great. Yeah, yeah. good cast though. Princess it Leia, great Lizzie cast. Kaplan, smoking hot cast. Joshua Jackson. Ooh, that, I'm gonna Toby Huss. Yeah, Toby Huss. Love Toby, Toby Huss is in it. Yeah, he's great. He's the best thing about it. So get him in a King movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a movie that I was really excited for. Because I love Rob Savage. And I was like, but the thing is, a lot of warning bells. And, you know, you can go back to our old uh, Hollywood King episodes. And I kind of, everything that I was worried that this movie would be, that I talked about in those episodes, it pretty much was. Like, when as soon as I read the synopsis about, like, two sisters struggling with grief and that, the you know, I was like, okay, they're not going the, there is, like, a nasty version of this story, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there is, like, an ugly um you know night shift style movie to be made of this of this of this story and as soon as i saw that plot synopsis i'm like oh they're they're making it like they're trying to slot this malleable idea into the contemporary horror landscape and i thought about that a lot with because like the idea of the boogeyman right like that is something that can be anything 
uh, which is freeing, I think, for studios who want to build franchises, which is all anybody wants now. So you take a movie like The Boogeyman and you're like, well, uh, this is the kind of thing that you can scale, that you can turn into a franchise because uh, we can we we're not bound by a lot of rules with this monster. But, it, you know, sometimes I think, you know, I, you think about Dracula and the rules are like so simple and clean and uh, and easy to identify. And I think that helps filmmakers who are making Dracula movies. I think sometimes when you're working with a creature that is very amorphous and uh, kind of represents, uh, you know, more of the idea of being scared by what's in the closet rather than an actual entity that I think is where you end up with a movie that can't figure out what the boogeyman is and then just turns it into a metaphor. And mm. that's unfortunate. So yeah. And I was worried about that too. I feel like I talked about that on some old King episodes that I was curious how they were going to manifest it. And so, yeah, sadly it was the movie that I was hoping it wouldn't be but it's not incompetent. It's not boring, really. It's got some good scares. I feel like it'll satisfy audiences. I just wish there was more. What it, What is really missing, honestly, is humor. Like, humor is so fucking important in horror movies. And, like, something like Megan really gets that. You know what I mean? It's why people liked it so much. Um, like, I think Smile is a movie that made a lot of money. But... I don't, it's not a movie I hear people talk about a lot, whereas Megan is the kind of movie I still hear people talking about. And I think a lot of that has to do is that it's fun to watch it. With Boogeyman, it's fun in the spooky scenes, but it's not really fun outside of that. And that hurts it. So I don't know. I'm just kind of meandering through my thoughts here because this is a movie that I feel like just feels really tinkered with. It feels fussy. Uh, I can see the, you know, you talked about the seams, Justin, like, or the, yeah, I can see the seams of the different, um, like multiple, the multiple colors of different drafts that this final script must have looked like of all the pages that had been inserted and removed. That's all I can really see when I look at this movie. But like I said, um, Jen, you had said that you were kind of here for the scares. You know, that's what you wanted and that's what you focused on. And I think that's the healthiest way to approach this movie is like, this is a movie I'm here for the various horror sequences. And I think through that perspective, I can give it two and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses uh, because I think it is satisfying in a very simple Friday night horror movie kind of way. Mm -hmm. uh, MVP, it's goofy. I was going <laughs> to. But you said it needs more humor. I was going to say it needs wow. more goofy. You know? Yeah, I know. Goofy, that goofy bit was pretty funny. Flieger, yeah. I do think you should go check this out again if you missed the goofy cameo. Gorsh. <laughs> <laughs> no better way to end this episode. Uh, that is a good way to end this episode. So let's sign off with a long, long days, days and, and pleasant This is the end of our show, for now. Tune in next week. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, 
The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>